Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. So I'm, my smile and the joy that I have inside is uncontainable and I am going to try to contain it as much as possible. Welcome to the anniversary edition of Tribe Beginner's Luck. It is another edition, but it's an anniversary edition because we are officially one years old or we are one year olds now. We are, we're toddlers in the game. We are moving on up. Ooh, let's keep on the training wheels because there's still a lot to learn. And I'm sure a one-year-old is not riding a bike with training wheels, but you never know. You know, we have uh, we have some wild things that are happening with the kids that are coming out of the birth canals of these awesome, amazing women triathletes. So anything can happen. A baby can ride a bike at one and we're definitely riding. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you to every listener who supported us thus far. Thank you to, um, well, one, I just want to give God some glory for the idea to do Try Beginner's Luck and to have the strength to do it amongst the other things that happened last year. And I couldn't do this without two incredible women who said yes to this wild thing vision and dream. So to Sarah Truitt and Maria Simone, thank you. Thank you for our meetings that we have week after week. Thank you for your ideas. Thank you for your your time, your energy, and your love that you pour into this um, project. I appreciate you, and I want to say thank you. Whew. Do not get emotional because you guys know by now I am a crybaby and it's okay. I own it. I own it. But welcome. Anniversary edition, Try Beginner's Luck. I am overwhelmed with so much joy in my heart today. And not that it's not always, but today is actually special. We get to interview a two-time world champion. What? Mind blown. This person did Kona in October and technically, oh my gosh. Oh, both of them are in in October. Did Kona at the beginning of October and St. George at the end of October. I would say he's pretty bionic. We also got a preview because this person snuck up on the Try Beginners Luck DM and gave us some behind the scenes takeover action in Kona. This person is an age group athlete who's currently working on his PhD in biostatistics at Georgetown University. He started his triathlon journey only four and a half years ago after finding that water and rehabbing a water injury was the way to go. Since then, he has gone buck wild. And because the season is about overcoming, he got injured this year in an accident, which we will talk about. 
And so to think that he probably had maybe six good weeks to ride outside, six good weeks to run outside, and six weeks to rehabilitate and learn how to swim again, and he's now completed two major triathlons on the largest world stage? Ladies and gentlemen, I need to introduce you to Mr. Patrick McDeed. Patrick, welcome to Try Beginner's Luck. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's uh, quite the introduction. Uh, and uh, first of all, congratulations on the one year anniversary. I'm honored to be uh, a part of a part of uh, year one now going into year two. Woo, body rolling. Ay, ay, ay. Yes, I'm dancing. So if you want to see the dance, watch YouTube. I would have dressed up a little nicer, but who child, the work day has been a day. Half braids in, half braids out. Nowhere to celebrate than just being in the mix. Anyway, Whoa, Patrick, what a year it's been for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i still processing everything, so I have no idea where this conversation uh, is going to go. There might be a lot of uh, rambling and, and, and going through things in, in real time. It's all happened uh, very fast, but it's been, it's been incredible. I mean, I, I, I just got back home um, yesterday evening from St. George, so it's still just like all fresh in the mind. And, um, yeah, so I just, I, I can't believe, um, the ups and the downs and, and the journey this year has been. Oh, wow. Well, I love that we're getting the raw take on your thoughts and your emotions. There's nothing like having it raw and just real in the moment, but let's just, let's just do some backwards motion. You know, I was reading a little bit about your, your background and really you're new to just fitness and, and you're new to all of this. T give us a little bit of history about who Patrick McDeed was and then roll it into who you are today. Yeah, I, so I, I don't really have a background um, in any sport in particular. Growing up, I was always kind of around the water, um, you know, just grew up swinging in the local lakes and then uh, swam competitively as a, as a little kid, uh, up through about age 12. Um, but as I grew up, I seemed to grow a little bit wider and, <laughs> uh, compared to my peers. And, um, it was really, really demoralizing as, as, as a child, um, you know, those kind of middle school, high school years can definitely be tough with your peers. Uh, and it definitely was for me being, being an overweight child. And that kind of soured me on, on like kind of competitive, sports um and I really was you know that 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 side of things kind of left for me um when I entered college I decided to it was a good time to make some lifestyle changes and just kind of uh started eating healthier and focusing on general fitness going to the gym regularly and working in some cardio uh and then somewhere along the way I thought it'd be a good idea to try running something I never did and tried to sneak out of uh in any time it was involved in soccer practice or something of the like to figure out how I could run the least amount of laps um but yeah I just started running a little bit and then along the way in an internship started running with a coworker after work and he convinced me to sign up for a 5k uh, which happened to be the BAA 5k around the Boston Marathon and if anyone's been in Boston for marathon weekend it is just an incredible atmosphere whether you're a runner or or not uh, it is it's infectious uh, and I think that's kind of when things 
started to snowball. Um, <laughs> and as most, I think, who have ventured down this rabbit hole are probably listening to this podcast. So 5K leads to 10K to the half marathon. And then, you know, just just all the races from there. Uh, and it's crazy looking back at it, even just this past week in St. George is getting kind of the Google Photos updates uh, timeline on on my phone. And it was seven years ago. It was a picture of me uh, running my first half marathon. And just to like put into perspective, like from that moment to where I was and in St. George, uh, it was just, yeah, kind of, kind of shocking. Um, yeah. Wow. So just seven years ago, you were doing your first half and now in November, 2022, you are a two times world champion and one in 70.3 and one in the 140.6. That's not an easy feat. And I thank you for sharing your your journey about being, uh, as you say, you were growing wider and, you know, being an overweight child and turned into um, a beast of an athlete. Um, I think sometimes people need to hear that there's time and there's room to always make improvements and there's always an opportunity to change whatever it is that you don't want. Or, you know, sometimes naturally you, you have genetics that just play a certain role. Um, but the fact that you wanted something very different for yourself and you had a coworker who introduced you to running, that was the gateway drug. And now you're, you're here. So you started running with a friend, you did the BAA 5k. Tell me, how did you like make the transition from running into try like that seems to be a very unique uh transition so tell us about that transition yeah so i i really got into to running after that so after that first half marathon my roommate at the time said all right bucket list item while we're still young let's run a marathon so we signed up for a marathon that fall and did it. it wasn't fast we both struggled a lot we weren't trained for it but it, mission accomplished uh and then from there i decided that you know this was actually really fun i should i should really look into this more and joined a, a local running club in boston and that's where i mean i found kind of the endurance community and that was just such a great supportive environment and that really got me into getting more serious into into training for running specifically and looking at races and just connecting with an amazing group of people um, that, you know, were supportive of, you know, my, my running journey, but then also me as, as a person. And then being kind of a naturally shy person that really helped kind of break me out of my shell a little bit. Uh, and so, you know, one marathon led to another and naturally it was too much too soon um, for my running body to handle. Uh, so I, I got a hamstring injury and in the process of, of rehabbing, I started swimming again um, and was on the spin bike in the gym. And then kind of through that process, just really found the love for the water again that I had as a little kid. Uh, and it was kind of coming back to the sport on my own terms. There wasn't any really competitive desire there. It was just doing something kind of for me and for myself. That, and I really enjoyed it again. And there was just something so relaxing about being in the water. Um, I know not everyone has that experience when they're um, diving into triathlon for the first time. So I think that's something I really, I really appreciate um, is having kind of that natural feel and love for the water. And then, so through all that, I decided to 
throw all three of those things together uh, once I was fully healed and signed up for uh, a local sprint triathlon put on by um, my YMCA back home in, in New Hampshire. And yeah, that's kind of where it all started. And that was, you know, four and a half years ago uh, now. Again, <laughs> it's really uh, crazy to look back on. That is pretty interesting as, you know, you say that the water was very relaxing because I, and look, I may have people who disagree with me, but I feel like the water is only relaxing when you're not training. Like if you're training for something, you actually have to, to do stuff that water, you'd be like, oh, I think I just recently told my coach, I was like, I actually have been hating swimming lately. And I don't like to get to where I hate to swim, but you know, it is what it is. And then um, thank God that you did fall back in love with um, and thought it was relaxing to swim because you're right. That's not everyone's story. And the swimming can be so intimidating, but when you just relax and let go, it can be a very tranquil and healing experience. I often find, I like to float in the water. Do you just sometimes get in the water and just, ah, just float and just let whatever the day's problems is just kind of go. Is that something that you do as well? I mean, especially, um, I mean, open water can be a very intimidating environment um, for many, but sometimes just like stopping where you are and just taking in uh, the scenery around you can be such an amazing experience. Like if you're on a lake, just, you know, watching the sunrise kind of come over the trees and just like appreciating that. Or, you know, even when we're in Kona, like that was just one of the most amazing swim venues. And just to be out there swimming in the middle of the race and then you just like you take a stroke and you look over and just look out over the coastline and the volcano in the background and just appreciating where where you are in that moment and it, yeah it was yeah it's yeah. sometimes it is it's just to to take that moment when you feel kind of panicked in the water and just relax and enjoy what your body's allowing you to to experience mm, that's good relax and enjoy what your body is allowing you to experience. That's good. I'm going to take that into my next experience when I'm at a destination where I can just look and see all of the, um, what nature has to offer and just really kind of absorb it and take it in. So you made a decision. You did your first try at the YMCA. So tell us about your first experience and what are some of your learning lessons from your first ever triathlon? I mean, I think like, like most when they get into the sport, I was completely under prepared. Like I, you know, knew more or less how to swim, how to ride a bike and how to run. Uh, but the actual mechanics of throwing it all together, the gear required, I, I didn't really have any understanding of that. I had a road bike that I bought off of Craigslist that probably didn't fit me. Uh, it had, you know, regular platform pedals that I wore my running shoes on. I had a you know, a, you know, regular road helmet with a nice little visor, uh, to shield me from, from the sun, I guess. And I, I, know, I just kind of, kind of you know, did the thing. I didn't, didn't have a wetsuit or anything and just, you know, swim my swim trunks, put on some running clothes in, in T1 and rolled out on my bike, uh, you know, and then hopped up right off. And, you know, part of the perks of, uh, riding in your running shoes is, uh, you know, T2 is pretty quick. So, that was nice. And, you know, went out for a little, a little 5k run. Uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely a different experience. So what would you tell your then four years ago self? Cause how, four years ago, how old would you have been? 
uh, I was probably just turned 23 at the time. <laughs> so 23 year old Patrick, what would you tell 23 year old Patrick today? Oof. Um, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> you know, like I think just to, yeah, even I did this, but just like to enjoy kind of that experience. I feel like it got, it got pretty serious pretty quick. Um, and you know, you really kind of dived in for myself. I really like dove right into kind of the minutia and got really involved in the training, but just like those early stages are, are kind of enjoyable where you're just a complete beginner at something and it's okay to kind of work through the clunkiness. You don't have to take yourself too seriously right off the bat. Um, yeah. And, and it's okay to just kind of trial out for a little bit and, you know, see, see where your interests lie. Um, yeah, I think I was fortunate that I really, you know, found a good local triathlon group in New Hampshire to kind of help, you know, ease me into the sport, show me the ropes and, you know, work through some of those challenging times and really got me hooked on, on triathlon in general. Um, but I think there, there's some, some fun to be had in just exploring the sport for, for yourself. I often wonder, um, so New Hampshire, what was the name of your track club in New Hampshire again? Northeast multi-sport. Aha. Uh -huh. So I'm so special, right? I would be like, well, Northeast multi-sport thinking Northeast Maryland because limited purview, Mashonda. And I'd be like, well, I don't understand, but I thought he lived in DC. So I would always be confused. And so now I get to know. So New Hampshire is where you're from, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. And so you're a part of a couple of tri-teams, like most of most triathletes, right? So you're a part of New Northeast a Triathlon in New Hampshire. And then you're also a part of Team Grit in the Washington, D.C. area, correct? Yep, that's right. That's how I met you. I met you. Yeah. I remember my first time meeting Patrick. And this is, you probably don't even know this story, Patrick. I um, We were at Haynes Point. Oh, this was last year. We were at Haynes Point and I was trying on a wetsuit in the parking lot and you came by and you were so sweaty with salt and stuff all on your body I was like Ugh, this is so disgusting get away from me and it was just like who is this guy I was like it's like hi my name is Patrick I was like hey Patrick not knowing you were training for Maryland and you were probably doing like a shakeout run and now that it's playing back in my mind I'm like Oh, that's Patrick. And so let's talk a little bit about moving to DC because you moved to DC to work on uh, your PhD. Oh, that kind of rhyme. You moved to DC to work on your PhD. Okay. It'll sound better if I had a beat to it, but yeah, so you moved to DC to work on your PhD and you're now getting into the big, bigger races. What was it like to come here, find a team, and to jump right in. Yes, so I, I was really, really fortunate. Um, well, maybe unfortunate, we'll get to that. Uh, so I moved here in fall 2019, um, and I found uh, Marcus and, and Grit uh, kind of right off the bat. And then you know, shortly thereafter, we know where things went. So it was great that I found kind of a, a community um, right from the start that I could stay involved with through kind of 2020, 2021, and then now through 2022, where it's been some very challenging times to kind of make some of those connections, especially if you're moving to a city that's more or less shut down. 
uh, during the, you know, the, the peak of the pandemic. Um, and so kind of in that time, it was great to have some local support here on the ground that I could keep in touch with uh, through, you know, training and setting big goals and having, you know, a lot of people based here in DC through with grit and then kind of our, our broader tri community here that we're working towards Maryland and also have a great group back home that I could stay in touch with virtually kind of through the whole process. Uh, and I really set kind of um, the onset of the pandemic kind of through that winter that you know, I really wanted to try this, this Ironman thing uh, when, when races open back up uh, and then knowing other people that were doing, doing Maryland, it made sense geographically that I put that kind of as a target and as a goal and just kind of went full steam ahead um, yeah, to, to train for it. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed that, that process. Uh, I think um, I just enjoy kind of the monotonous work that's involved in, in long distance travel on like none of it's really super exciting. I mean, you can do your fun interval workouts or whatnot, but it's just like enjoying the, the long rides, the long runs, long swims, um, a lot of time to yourself. Um, I joke that I do my best thinking, uh, on the bike or the run, but you know, there are some times that when I really just, I need a mental break from, from my research and, you know, I'll, I'll have that moment of clarity while, while out on the trails or something. Uh, so it's, it's just been a great, a great fit for that, to have that kind of that, that physical outlet, but also the mental outlet. And then also it ties in with just an incredible, uh, group of people, both here in, in DC and back home. Wow. What a, like the, the perfect timing you came to DC right before the pandemic and the world shut down, you meet up with Marcus and grid and you just take off. So during this time of saying, oh, when the, when the world opens back up and racing begins, I want to do a marathon. Do you have a coach? Like, because, and I asked this because you, you, you did Maryland and it was your first long distance ever. And you podiumed and qualified for Kona on your first time. So did you coach? And then I want to kind of ask, I want you to reverse engineer that and tell us about your experience at Maryland, but do you have a coach and are, or are you just self-coached? Uh, so for Maryland, I was, I was self-coached. I had worked with uh, a coach prior, but when, you know, things are very uncertain kind of, you know, with the pandemic and race planning and it was kind of remote anyways, it just made sense to, you know, take a little bit of a, a break for a while. And, you know, I personally really love the aspect of tinkering with my, you know, daily schedule and mapping things out long-term probably fits with the endurance athlete type A planning uh, type thing. But uh, I, I really just enjoyed, enjoyed that process of setting out my race calendar and, and writing up some, some training. Um, and maybe it wasn't the best. Uh, I'm sure there's, you know, coaches who, who have a lot of experience to share and would probably make some adjustments from what I did. Um, but I think that's part of what, what made some of that process fun was having some ownership of it um, myself at the same time, I mean, having a coach can really help keep you accountable and see things in a different way than you might not otherwise, you know, cause you're, you're so stuck in it that sometimes, um, it helps to have someone who's a little bit removed from the training or the, the, the goal race, uh, to give you kind of a broader perspective of things. Um, so then leading up through, through Maryland, uh, I feel like I still haven't even processed that one. Um, I think like in Ironman is just, um, 
it's it's just a long day uh and it's it's nothing in and of itself individually totally remarkable it's all if you just look at like the individual swim the bike or the run it's things you can you can definitely wrap your head around doing and none of the, the paces or anything seem outstanding like you can run way faster than that in training you could you know if you wanted to you could probably run longer but a marathon is still a really long time that one's still kind of I don't, I don't know how the body does that at the end of, at the end of an Ironman. Um, yeah, but it was just like, I'm very, it's probably come across here in this conversation. I'm, I'm very process oriented and then leading like on the day of Maryland, you know, I had written out my race plan and kind of, you know, markers on the course mantras of, you know, things I wanted going through my head at certain points, you know, writing out my fueling plan. And just kind of checking off all of those boxes throughout the day, having backup plans and then just, you know, going through one by one. And then before I knew it, I was kind of deep into the marathon. Things started to get a little bit tough then, but I could see the finish line um, in sight more or less. And yeah, it was all of a sudden, you know, like 10 hours had had passed by and I was I was crossing that finish line. And I still even now having like done that that race and having done Kona like an Ironman distance 140.6 miles is a long long time I I don't know how how our bodies are able to, to do that uh yeah it's it's insane um to process but it was something I never thought I could ever do or would ever want to do um kind of going back to where we started um uh, but yeah it <laughs> I don't know. I'll cut it off there unless you ask a follow-up question. No, and I, I just want to point out that for those of you who are listening who don't have any desire to do an Ironman, that's fine because not, it's not everyone's destiny or journey to do an Ironman or a long course for that matter. But what I want to share is that I do recall Patrick doing every distance. He did a 5K first, then a 10K, then a half, then a full. He did a sprint. Then he did an Olympic, then he did a half, then he did a full. So he didn't do no pop out, I'm doing an Ironman or pop out, I'm doing this. He's actually done the natural progression of each of the distances to be able to appreciate all of the distances. And so my follow-up question to your journey to Maryland and getting to the finish line is, you did all of that and you podiumed, qualified for Kona, all on your intuition and how you like to tinker with your scheduling and your and your training peaks or whatever you used. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I will have to credit like a lot of people who put out great information on the internet. Um, you know, like I'm kind of a nerd about these things. So I, you know, listen to a lot of podcasts, watch, you know, different webinars or whatever on YouTube and, you know, read all the resources and, you know, follow some smart people on Twitter. I don't think there's really many secrets kind of in, in endurance sport or, you know, secret workouts that are going to, you know, unlock some, some hidden potential. And a lot of it is just, um, kind of putting in the consistent, like I said, kind of more or less monotonous work. It doesn't have to be super fast or super fancy all the time, but just, you know, you know, being consistent, over the course of many, many weeks, um, you know, for months at a time is kind of how I built up to that Ironman. I mean, other than this past year, 
uh, haven't had many training interruptions. Uh, and it's just something that's kind of a daily habit for, for me and something like I enjoy personally. I know it doesn't work with everyone's schedule. I'm very blessed to have a lot of flexibility with my current life commitments. Obviously, like my thesis research is, is pretty time consuming and it can be a lot mentally. Um, but outside of that, you know, I'm, I'm young. I don't have family commitments that I know is a huge uh, strap on a lot of people who are entering into triathlon. And also my work is more or less remote. If I have my laptop, I can, I can pretty much do all the, the work I need. And, you know, now that zoom conferencing is, you know, more common practice um, it's all opened up even more flexibility in, in terms of my schedule and when I can get work done and, you know, when I can meet with different people. Um, so that's been a huge, a huge uh, boon in terms of, you know, fitting in the training kind of around, around my uh, daily life. Okay. So I, I love that the flexibility, because you're right. I think, I think there's some really beautiful things that came out of the pandemic. And one of those has been remote working and being able to kind of have a little bit more autonomy over your schedule and the flexibility to work where it might be comfortable for you. I want to now kind of segue into your road to Kona, because this is where the story gets a little interesting and, you know, a little bit where people are going to lean into the, to their, um, on their seats to listen in a little bit more intently. So roll to Kona, you've, you've qualified. What happens next? Like, what does one do? What was life for you like at this point? Uh, so immediately after Maryland, well, first of all, it, things were a bit weird uh, when we're, we're stepping back to right after Maryland. Uh, it was kind of uncertain what Ironman was going to be doing with the world championships uh is originally scheduled for february of 2022 that ended up in kona and i ended up getting cut um and they moved that to the may in st george and then opened up this two-day event uh in october of 2022 and when that was announced this was about two weeks after maryland um, they retroactively gave kona spots so i spent two weeks kind of on slow twitch looking at all the the forums and the rumor mail of you know when if these slots would be filtered down because i came in second in my age group and my age group was only given one slot uh and unfortunately the the person who came in first uh, did take that and it was well learned he uh absolutely smoked the rest of us <laughs> so he, he definitely earned his spot dakota uh but thankfully one one spot that did open up for my age group um and i was able to qualify for for kona at that point um and then kind of, you know, I, at that point, I, I took a normal off season, um, like I think everyone should, especially if you, you are really building up for a big race, whatever that race is for you, you put in a lot of physical and mental energy into this, it's good to just take some time to, to exhale, let that settle. Um, so that's what I did. And then kind of went forward into planning out what the next year would would look like, knowing that Kona was a big goal, but it'd also be my first time there, hopefully of, you know, more to come in the future. Um, and that it's, it's a very challenging course. It's a tough environment and there's going to be a lot of really fast people there. So I had realistic expectations kind of at the beginning of the year of, of what that would look like, but I wanted to be, I wanted to do well for, for myself at that event. And so that meant having a really, really solid year of training. Um, and I really wanted to, you know, Kona aside, I, I'm doing this, you know, not, to 
win podiums or any anything like that. It's it's more just for trying to get the most out of out of myself, figure out kind of what that that limit is. Uh, and I, I still don't know yet. Uh, and I think it'll take many, many years to, you know, to find that edge. Um, so the race I wanted to really put on the calendar and test myself was Lake Placid in July. And so leading into that, I did a, uh, half distance, um, back up in new England, uh, in training, uh, that I was about four weeks before Lake Placid. And unfortunately I had a bike crash in that race, uh, completely my own fault. Um, <laughs> still don't quite know how it happened. Um, and I ended up breaking my collarbone. And so that was four weeks from Lake Placid and 15 weeks from Kona. Um, fortunately did not need surgery. Um, but it was, um, pretty rocky road, uh, <laughs> it caused a lot of, a lot of anxiety. So I was uh, in a sling for, for eight weeks. Um, I still went up to Lake Placid to support some friends and see Shonda there as well. Um, and she offered some, some great support. And I think, uh, some prayers that helped to carry me to, to the finish lines to come. Um, but you know, in that, in that time when I was in a sling, um, I obviously had to take a couple weeks off. Um, but I tried to get back on the spin bike in my sling, you know, one arm on the handlebar to just to keep the legs turning over. I was walking a ton. You know, if you're someone who's used to running, jogging, and you know, always on the move to just be, you know, taking laps around the neighborhood was, was mentally was really tough. Um, and I, you know, on the weekends, I would try to go out for some longer hikes in the mountains, which was a good mental release. Uh, also probably had some physical benefit, but mostly it was just for the, for the mental release. Um, and then, you know, once that sling came off, I was able to put two arms back on the, the handlebars and try to work on running. It was a little jarring at first. The collarbone was cranky and I wasn't really sure what to do with my arms. They're kind of flapping all over the place. Um, yeah. And then five weeks before Kona, I got back into the water for the first time uh, and tried to learn how to swim again. Um, somehow I was able to. The first few swims were absolutely awful. I didn't think I was going to be able to, you know, swim a few hundred yards, let alone the 2.4 miles that were uh, on deck in about a month's time. Um, but yeah, somehow just after some, some work in PT and, you know, some work on my own and just, you know, those little baby steps at first, um, it, uh, the body came around and, um, got me to the start line and somehow carried me on to <laughs> through to the finish line in Kona. Okay. And I want to make sure I heard you correctly. So you were in a bike crash in New Hampshire doing a 70.3. And what did you hit somebody hit a car or what exactly happened? <laughs> Embarrassingly, it's, it's, it's just me and my uh, poor bike handling skills that are uh, to blame. Um, There's no cars or other cyclists involved. It was just after an aid station. So I picked up a water bottle. That was fine. Um, and was getting back going had crested a hill and I could feel the bottle trying to eject and I had bent down to fix it and at some point there I don't know if I hit something on the road or just kind of like lost the back edge of my wheel but I went down uh, you know it's a movement that I've done many many times before um, but for whatever reason at that point it, it caused me to crash and the next thing I knew I was sliding across the ground and is definitely in shock uh, 
when it first happened and, you know, got myself together, thought I could eventually ride the bike. Um, but you know, some people who were passing the other direction in their car stopped to see if I was okay, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and it quickly, like within talking to them, I realized that, you know, my, my arm wasn't, wasn't moving. And, um, then the pain started to set in and I was like, okay, yeah, this is uh this is not good. I'm going to have to fall out of this one. <laughs> well, thank God, um, that one, you didn't have to have surgery and that you were able to kind of walk away ish from it. And two, um, Accidents happen. They're not something that we want to happen. But I'm just sitting here thinking about the timeline you said. So was it four weeks before Placid that you got into the crash? And then 15 weeks at that time before um, Kona. And you weren't able to get in the water again to even start to swim again until five weeks before the race? Yeah, I believe that's the timeline. Uh, oh. But to be honest, I mean, I thought, you know, if I could get in the water once or twice before Kona, like, I'd be good. I, I can float through that. But the, the hardest thing for me mentally was was the bike. And that I, I had the most time to kind of get reacclimated for. But I mean, even, even now, like in Kona and then in St. George, even in training rides, it it has taken a long time to relax when I first get on the bike. And sometimes I don't, you get a right. crosswind or something and you just, you feel unstable or you're going fast on a hill and you know, it's still, it's still in the back of my mind. Um, right. I think that was, that was probably the most challenging thing is it really kind of shakes your confidence, um, yeah. which is, is definitely, is definitely humbling. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine cause that's trauma. Right. And so it takes time to heal from the trauma and, tra you know, to, to, to support yourself, you know, to like build that confidence back up with you. But the body does some amazing things. And I know it's nothing shy of a miracle that all this happened. And it's a testament to show what, what can happen and what can do, you know, when you believe. And um, I remember seeing you in Lake Placid and I just happened to go to Lake Placid because I was like, I've never been to Lake Placid. I've heard so many great things and I just wanted to come and support. And when I saw you and having an opportunity to encourage you and to just chat with you, I knew like that was probably the reason why I was there. You know, I feel like I'm a natural encourager and um, it's one of the gifts that I've been blessed with. And to be able to encourage you and to continue to encourage you. And even in like, when I was back in DC, just I would write and I'm like, okay, just heal, heal Patrick, make sure he's okay for his race. And to see that I was just rejoicing because I knew the state in which you were and to be able to see this moment where you not only did Kona, but you were also able to do St. George, but God right yeah i i don't even know what to say to that and you know we were talking about this yeah, offline and i i definitely do remember you know that the moment when we connected in in lake Placid. and I, that was definitely a very very tough time for me mentally and emotionally that was you know a race that i had 
invested a lot in and, and not even like financially aside, that was a tough pill to swallow, but, um, you know, physically and, and emotionally, that was, it's like you said, it's an amazing venue. There's just incredible energy there. And it was something I really wanted to to be a part of. And, you know, I feel like that, that had been stripped away. And then the thought of maybe not even healing in time for Kona, which is a whole nother level of an experience. Um, and then to have you there as kind of a calming supportive presence, um, and then continuing in the weeks to, to come to offer words of encouragement and, and prayers uh, definitely meant a lot. So uh, put it on the record, a, a very, very heartfelt thank you. Well, you, you don't have to thank me, but thank him. Thank you. Like, thank him. Okay. I don't know how to do it. It's lame. But, you know, look, I'm just grateful that you're able to still do what you love. And I think in overcoming sometimes, when that first happened, your mind probably went to, I'm not going to be able to do this. Why did this happen to me? Why? Why? Right? Not knowing that everything works together for your good and your attitude because of who you are probably helped to shift, you know, the healing process. But it, I can only imagine the questions and the thoughts that went in your head when you first got into the accident. And then now seeing that you are you were able to complete the bigger goal, which was Kona and St. George. That's just, I mean, there's no words to really express what it is. And I know that you have a lot to process, but I know that you have to be super proud and just giving thanks to your body for the strength that it can do. Like these bodies are truly miracles that do amazing things. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I, I definitely still haven't had time to process that because especially with the whole like recovery timeline, it was just, all right, what's the next step? How can I get through this next, this next week? And, you know, how can we keep building a little bit more so I can, you know, get to the start line in good enough shape. And then once you're on the ground in Kona, like there's so much going on. And then all of a sudden it's race day. And it's like, all right, let's get through race day. How do we get through with the swim? And then, you know, this part of the bike. All right. Now we have to climb with the Javi and come back. And now it's onto a marathon. Just, just keep moving forward on the run. And then all of a sudden I'm running down a lead drive. I hear my name shouted from a bunch of different directions. Marcus is running down the finishing shoot. Mike Riley calls my name. And then all of a sudden I'm like rushed into the post-race area. I was like, all right, what, what just happened? Like this past 15 weeks have flown by. I, it means something. I don't know what that is yet. Um, I still don't. You know, now even four weeks later, uh, <laughs> you know, right after that is off to St. George for another incredible experience um, that I'm still not quite sure how my body did that again. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it is just something that you know, I'm really appreciative for, for being able to, to have this experience. And, you know, I don't think it needs to be an Ironman or, you know, world championships or, or anything for someone to have kind of a, a similar feeling or uh, of appreciation for your body to do that. I mean, just whatever, whatever that race is, wherever that goal is for you is, I think is trying to find that that gets you motivated to, um, to challenge yourself in new ways, I think is, um, incredibly powerful. You know, for me, it was trying to find this, this edge with endurance and triathlon and kind of through Ironman. Um, and that might not be that for everyone. It might just be getting through a, a sprint triathlon and, you know, conquering maybe some fears of 
uh, open water swimming around others and then, you know, making it through your bike leg and, and, and the run and just feeling that, that finish line, you know, wherever that is. Um, I think I, I would encourage everyone to, to try to find that. Yeah. And I would just say, I don't care what level of sprint, what level of triathlon you do, whether it's a super sprint, sprint, Olympic, half distance or full, there's always a thing. Like, I don't know if it ever gets easier or you just get better, but it is always a, a challenge and a new challenge will present itself. I, I want to go back to you being called, your name being called out uh, by Mike Riley, because I just recall him saying, um, Patrick McDee, you're an Ironman. No, you're a tall Ironman. <laughs> what was that about? Like, because you, you hit your head on the... Uh, I guess the marquee, right? So I didn't, I didn't actually hit my head. Um, but <laughs> the, the, one of the photographers they had there was just propped up at the best angle. And then my across the finish line, I put my hands on the top of my head, just kind of like disbelief. I think I need to work on my finish line celebration or something. There are people <laughs> like doing backflips over that thing or, you know, skipping up in the air. And I just stumbled across and put my hands on my head. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's like, you know, Mike O'Reilly is the voice of Iron Man. It's, it's, you know, a lot of triathletes dream to have him call them across the finish line. This was his last race. He's retiring. And it just happened that there was a little bit of a distance between me and the person behind me that he had some more time to fill than just my name. And I guess it struck him that I was tall. <laughs> uh, so that's what I got. Uh, definitely. Uh, memorable uh it's yeah i have clipped the clipped the finish line video for sure and we'll we'll save that one for a good laugh and a smile at a later time and how tall are you uh i'm six four and the the alpha flies definitely probably bumped me up a little bit as well yeah and so that also presented a new challenge right when we talk about diversity equity inclusion and access in this sport i don't think height height is a diverse issue and, and, and for us tall folks, like I'm tall for a female, but six, four, and you come in so close, even putting your hands on the, your head and still being within some millimeters from hitting it. That's something to reconsider about the height of ath athletes that will be coming in the future, because you're, you're still young and they're going to be people who are going to be taller than you doing this sport. So we got to consider these things when we're thinking about like races and you know how do we make the sport more diverse and thinking about all of the angles and I think that just goes to think like you know when people are so used to something in a certain way they're not thinking about how diversity is not just about race color and creed but it's about height weight you know gender it's more than it's more than meets the eye and so I think that's just another area to showcase in which we can be more um, welcoming to all various heights. <laughs> for sure. I, I think for me, the biggest thing is definitely like the equipment is it, it's made for, you know, kind of the, the middle of that bell curve. Um, and it's tough to find some, some tall sizes and things. You know. Come on, can we get you know, more than so six inches? <laughs> more than six yeah, inches. No needs to be seeing know? my, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, going to uh going to st george um i had packed for a week in kona and then like 
got COVID coming back from Kona. We ended up staying out West with family before going to St. George. So I was very underprepared for the sharp change in weather conditions that were in St. George. Uh, I had a swim skin and not a wetsuit and uh, race morning, the water temperature they said was 62. The air temperature was low forties at best. Uh, so definitely, definitely needed a wetsuit. Finding a wetsuit or someone I could borrow a wetsuit from uh, being my height was, was quite the challenge. Uh, luckily I had a friend back home who was able to lend a wetsuit and send it uh, to St. George with my mother. But uh, yeah, it was, it's not something you can easily, you know, just buy on, on the race site um, when you're someone with my height. But one of the things that is cool about the, the world championship events is just with the thousands of athletes, just the different body types and backgrounds and just, uh, this, the diversity of athletes you see at these events is, is, is really cool. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to see that this, this sport is, is growing uh, and is catching on in, in diverse populations, but there's still, I think it's, as is quite clear, there's still a lot of work uh, to be done there uh, to make it more accessible for, for many groups of people. And that's why we're here. We are here to help in the ways in which we can. So look, Patrick is 6'4". He's tall, thin, white male. Then you have me, 5'10", voluptuous, black girl who do a lot. You know, we got we got your answer. We have your answer. Just come to us. Holler at us. We got ideas. Because I mean, thinking about it, even with, you know, trying to get tri kids, that is the hardest thing. Try kids. Like, I don't want three inch shorts. I don't even want six inch shorts. Can you hit me with maybe a nine inch? Because nine inches on me is probably six inches in real time. Just, okay, we're not getting on this because we have other things to talk about. Okay, sorry about that digression. But uh, you- Much needed. You do Kona, you get COVID, and then you do St. George- bionic man you're not a biostatistician you are a bionic man what come on how houseway uh i don't know that definitely did not go uh as planned um i mean obviously with that many people on a small island that is definitely a super spreader event even being very cautious um wearing a mask leading up to the race and kind of uh, on race site around the venue i think just with the interaction with people it was it was bound that someone in our party was going to catch it and then pass it on to everyone else and that's kind of what ended up happening um it was very fortunate that you know when we were I was flying back so i went out there with my with my dad to kind of uh, when we were flying back we were going through san diego where uh, his side of the family is from um and we were able to to quarantine there and and recover um and then spend kind of an extra week with with family in between before making the trip to utah uh it I more or less I had a pretty mild case um at least compared to my father uh which very lucky um but it's still at the same time you know it was between recovering from the iron man not sure what time zone my body was in ever over the course of this past month and then the covid it was just the recovery and the way my body was feeling um, was not was not great uh, <laughs> in between the time between Conan and St. George. So I, I really had no idea what was going to happen uh, this past weekend in St. George. And, you know, frankly, I had kind of I just wanted to enjoy that experience and also do a lot of sightseeing out there. It's an absolutely beautiful area of the country that I highly recommend anyone go see if, if you have the chance. Um, yeah, I, uh, just going back to 
we've said many times it's it's incredible what your body can do um i i still don't i I still can't wrap my head around um that one it was i haven't done too many 70.3s that was my um fourth one not counting the cycling accident um and it was probably my best all around yet uh so i yeah um not that i needed to have that performance to to enjoy it um but it just yeah it made it a little bit more special (laughs) i guess um yeah and sign of things things to come in the future uh i think is what is most motivating i guess Bionic Pat is what we are calling you. So what's next for Patrick McDeed? What is, what's next for Pat Bionic Man McDeed? Oof, I don't know. Um, right now I'm definitely going in off season mode. <laughs> uh, I've asked a ton from my body over this past year in many different ways from trying to heal bone um, to doing these crazy endurance events. So I'm going to take a few weeks to let that all sink in, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, and, you know, focus on some of the work I need to get done on the research side of things. Um, and, and then start to plan out what, what next year looks like. I think, you know, long-term, I think having that taste of the experience in, in Kona was, was pretty incredible. I'm glad I got to have that, uh, now and can, you know, think about what it'll take to, to get back there uh, if that is a goal but you know really um my goals in in triathlon like i said are not about podiums or you know like elite level status i don't view myself as a like ultra competitive athlete i'm in this to kind of pursue my own personal goals and to find out what i'm capable of so just continuing the foundation that i laid this year uh hopefully without injury setbacks um and just keep trying to see if I can, you know, find out what I'm capable of, um, incrementally get a little bit better each year and still, still enjoy the process and, and, and challenge myself in, in new ways, uh, and not just get, uh, sucked into doing it just because, but really to still just, to uh, enjoy the process and, and the journey of, of, of multi-sport and, and the, the community and, and everything that's involved in it. I love it. Um, uh, well, we, we can't have you, uh, I'm getting sidetracked and all cop because I'm like your humility. That's what I wanted to say. I kept thinking he's so humble. He's so humble. Patrick is the bionic, gentle, humble McDeed. Yeah. Patrick bionic man. That's gentle, humble McDeed. That's it. You're you're very gentle. You're very humble, and I love it. And that's probably why you have so many of the the good things kind of happening at a more expedited pace for you. But I can't let you leave without doing um, some rapid fire. And I want to say, Sarah Truitt surprised us with you taking over for TBL. And when I tell you, I was like, "Is I said what what." How did you do this? I was like, Patrick doesn't even do his own social media, but it was the best. It was the best. You were so good. You were explaining things. And the fact that you did all that, and this was your first time at Kona, it was special. So thank you for allowing, well, one, thank you for 
being a part of that little surprise with, with Sarah and doing that for us, but just being able to be there, it was like, oh, I have FOMO. I'm not there. Oh my God. It was just so yummy to see and so appeasing. So if you haven't checked it out, I do think it's on the Try Beginner's Luck uh, page. I think we were able to save some of the clips. So definitely check it out. It's really some just good, good content on all fronts. So with that said, what's your favorite distance? Uh, definitely, definitely Ironman. Uh, okay. I don't have a fast switch fiber in my body, so <laughs> longer, the better. Okay. What's your favorite leg and why? Uh, the swim. I think going back, that's kind of was my first love as a child. And then I think it still is. Okay. Um, what's your go-to workout and what does it look like? Oh man. Uh, sorry, this isn't going to be rapid fire. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I, I have, I have some favorite swim workouts that I like to, so I really love this is probably no one else does long swim workouts. Um, and just something where you can kind of like just find a rhythm and, and stick to it. Uh, and I guess you could say the same thing for a, for a bike or a run workout. Um, but it's usually something that has kind of a long up-tempo uh, interval, short recovery, maybe with a pull buoy, and then something short and fast recovery, and then work down into a slightly less long tempo interval. Uh, so for me, I'll start... Um, the season as maybe something like 500 for the tempo interval work down to four three two and then one and then the short inter the short faster interval will, will be 100s split up by either 100 or uh 50 easy pull that all sounded like a foreign language to me so i'm going to keep going <laughs> um what is your favorite post food race uh bill i am a huge fan of chipotle uh, I, I think it is just, um, for the money, uh, it is a good amount of food and it's good quality. It's just kind of what you, everything you need post race, uh, you know, nice serving of, of rice, a little bit of protein in there. And then you can't go wrong with some chips and guac at the end. <laughs> the Chipotle. I'm just going to keep on going with that one. We'll not. It doesn't have to be Chipotle, but you know, like the, the burrito bowl, you know, we can with some chips and guac. That can be. I mean, I get it. I make the bowls at home, but me and Chipotle, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not about me. Um, are you a transition minimalist Goldilocks where everything has to be just right or kitchen sink? You bring everything. Uh, uh, definitely a Goldilocks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are a kitchen sink the way you I, have. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, I, I'm very organized. It's probably come across here. There's, there's, there's probably many, many checklists, some in written form and then typed up, probably have pictures of things. It's, it's all very, very put together. Um, yeah. I, I'm not someone that will just load up everything. Everything's very, very structured. So <laughs> definitely just right. I love it. Um, Patrick, because you are very type A, everything is structured. How do you decompress? I'll let you know when I uh, <laughs> figure that out. <laughs> 
Uh, All right, we need an answer to that soon. But in the meantime, we ask everybody this on Trap Beginner's Luck. Do you pee on the bike or do you get off the bike and take a proper pee break? Well, in training, you absolutely get off the bike. There is no need to be doing that anytime in training. Uh, I don't people think they need to practice that. That is a complete lie. Um, if you have to in the race, uh, I mean, it depends where you're at. Like, there's nothing wrong with taking the stop, but you know, if if you just need to be a little bit on the bike, it's okay. <laughs> Look at I would say both. It, it really it depends. He he gave it to us gentle. Look, I get it. Doing doing a schedule, just regular training, absolutely not. Like you have the time to take and do it, but in the race, especially for those who need all their time, pee on the bike, wash your bike later and move on. Okay. All right. Patrick, thank you so much. The bionic, gentle, humble McDeed. I probably got all that wrong, but I appreciate you. Thank you. You have to come back. Uh, I, I do have one question and, and I'm going to leave it at that. Rice with maple syrup though? Yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend that as any any daily diet. That is not not necessarily healthy, but you know, you just got to get in get in those carbs uh, for race day. And white rice is pretty bland. Um, and then so instead of spicing it up with you know like an olive oil or something uh, that has some fats in it that aren't really going to help you on race day at least, um, yeah, maple syrup, more carbs on there, tastes good. <laughs> Give it a try. For your next I, race <laughs> I, I actually am going to give it a try and i'll report back if it's really good but he did mention oh. that in one of his stories he was like yeah just having some rice with maple syrup and we were like what rice maple syrup <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do with that said whenever you try beginner's luck you always win and i am so overwhelmed with joy and gratitude that i Try Beginner's Luck with this podcast. It is our anniversary podcast. Hey, hey, we doing it. And I'm gonna just do a universal, we did it, a year old. So excited. I just don't know what to do. But thank you all. Share, like, uh, leave us comments, give us ideas about what you wanna hear. Uh, and just sometimes let us know how, how we're doing, if we're doing good or if we need to just chill out. Mashonda, chill out. I received the good feedback. I appreciate you guys. And we just thank you. So have a good night. Have a good day. Happy November with all the gratitude. And we're out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.